Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today... Bishop. Mine's gone blank. Bishop, Bishop Fox. <laughs> Bishop Fox, part three. Number three. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I knew who we were doing. It was just his name escaped me, as, as names often do these days. Yes. Who did this? Um. <laughs> okay. There are a lot of Thomases. Let's go with Thomases. <laughs> I've had a thought. And it's to do with some research I'm doing for a special episode. Yes. Bishop Fox is now the Bishop of Winchester. Yes. The Bishop of Winchester owns the biggest brothel in England. (gasps) (laughs) At Bishop Fox's time? The Winchester Geese. I was around this time, I think, yeah. I'm thinking it's coming after him, because that would have been mentioned somewhere in the research. Hmm. It had. Oh, well, check that. I've literally just read that and I thought, oh, hang on a minute. Winchester, Winchester. So a few, few cogs started turning because you get the Winchester geese, don't you, the, for the name for the prostitutes? Yeah. Well, I haven't heard that before. I, I heard the Winchester swans. I didn't hear geese. Oh, well, geese I heard because that's why you get goose bumps or goose pimples or whichever you call them in um, Canada. The, um, and it is a sign. And I'm going to use the S word, I'm afraid. <laughs> Of syphilis. <laughs> so when you say you've got goose goose pimples or goosebumps, the derivation of that is, is a syphilitic word, I'm afraid. Huh. Huh. Nothing's coming up. Except wasn't it mentioned during Empson and Dudley's episode? I don't know, I've come across it several times. It could have been before him or after mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But nothing. But I don't know whether it is the person or the role, the the actual bishopric, that because they own Southwark, that's part of their diocese. Yeah. Um, the the brothel comes comes with it. Okay. Well, if anybody can figure that out for us. Hmm. Hmm. Hold on. I see. Yeah, I had one of those nice little whizzy synapse moments where you suddenly think, "Hang on a minute." Wait a second. <laughs> Remark drawn up in the 15th century, which allowed the Bishop of Winchester to sanction and profit from sex work in his jurisdiction. The ordinances touching the government of stew holders in Southwark. Southwark? Is it Southwark? Southwark. Southwark? (laughs) Yes. Under the direction of the Bishop of Winchester sets out 36 regulations. Oh, this is quite a bit earlier than Fox. Right. Did it continue under him? I thought I... it con- well, I thought it continued all the way through. I thought so. How weird. So you're okay with that, <laughs> but you're not okay with it happening in the convents. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I suppose it is a little bit different happening in the convents. You have yes. taken vows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it just it doesn't doesn't sound like him, does it? Not at all. all. Aesthetic, uh, don't eat. Prim don't and eat, proper, very prudish mm. man. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. I don't know. If somebody knows, let us know. Yes. <laughs> do you know what I do love about the part twos and part threes? There's no quiz. 
I don't have to well, look I can write silly. A quick quiz if you like. <laughs> you. Talking of quizzes, while we're on the subject, yes. Um, last night we, or last night for me, yesterday morning for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's very late. It's half past eight. Very past my bedtime. <laughs> we were on Rex Factor pub quiz. Yes, it so, was so cool. So, mm, yes, you went all flushed and. And, uh, <laughs> I know, I, I could see myself in the video and my cheeks were all red. I was like, oh my God, I'm fangirling. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> but yeah, it's good fun. We put we did the second round. Right. So if anybody's listening to that, then if, because you listen to Tudoriferous, presumably because you're listening to us now, you will be at an advantage. Yes. <laughs> a vast advantage. So. Uh, I think, do those get put out as a video? They're, they're pub quizzes They get out as an audio. I don't, know about, I don't know about video, but they certainly get put out as an audio. Okay. Because I've listened to them. Are you a patron? Then I'm I a, am patron, a patron. So, yeah, yeah. I believe you have to be a patron to listen to pub quizzes. But it did. We missed out answering a few questions. From yeah, we did. the people in the chat. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. We weren't intending to be rude. We just, they just sort of shot past. And yes. <laughs> there wasn't time. They're not mm. the kind of people that you want to say, wait, 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 we have questions yes. to answer. Yes. <laughs> Forget the quiz. <laughs> but Lucy and I were just talking. We would be more than happy to do a question and answer episode or even start answering questions at the beginning of the episodes. So if you have mm-hmm. questions, send them on to us. We've got Facebook, Twitter. Our email at tutoriferous at gmail.com that we can answer mm-hmm. through. Or if you're a patron, send it through the messages on Patreon. Patreon? Yeah. As long as the question isn't, did Bishop Fox run a, br- run a brothel? Because <laughs> <laughs> the answer right now is going to be, I have no idea. I'll need to find, I'll need to specifically go through the brothel to find Hang that on answer. a second. I've got this book here. Carnal Knowledge, Regulating Sex in England. I'm going to look in the... Index? The index, Richard Fox, got two mentions. I'll look at that later, and we'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, very well done, Elspeth, for winning yes. the quiz yesterday. Yes. A huge, massive amount. What was it, 28 or? 23. No, it's more than that. 25? 25. I got 28, sure but I, I'm a cheater because I wrote some <laughs> of the questions. But I didn't write any of the Rex Factor ones, and I got them right. (laughs) So I was proud of myself. But yes, she was right behind me. And you can't count me because I wrote the questions. Um, (laughs) Maybe she got 28 then. I think so. You got 29. Yeah. I can't remember now. I just remember Hmm. she was amazing. Hmm? Well done. She's one of our patrons, too. Yes, so she was an advantage for our, our round. She she knows her goose from her capon. Yes. <laughs> she only has an advantage if she was actually listening. So now we can say she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Elspeth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <sighs> Let's right. get going. Yeah, whether he owns a brothel or not, we ought to find out about him. Yes, and we will probably have an answer for you for Lucy's next recorded one, I would think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Bray. Yes. We are picking up Fox, and Henry VII has passed away. Lady Margaret Beaufort was Henry's executrix, and she had the help of both Fox and Fisher. So this included reparations. 
If you remember oh, yeah. for the Dudley and Empson, he did it multiple times. I'm almost going to die. I need to mm. be out of I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I'm getting better. I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he is part of the executor of Henry's will really shows that he had full faith in Fox all the way to the end. For me, that says something for a man who trusted almost nobody. There are very few people that Henry trusted. The ones he did trust, he tr seemed to trust implicitly, didn't he? Yes, yes. But there weren't very many of them. No, no. And his mother was one. Oh, gosh, can you be... Again, I'm thinking about being a mother and having your child die before you. Mm. Not long before, though. Yes. The funeral was one of the few times that Fox did not preside. And it, you might think of it as a slight, but it really wasn't. Margaret chose John Fisher, who was her former confessor and friend. Mm. So I would think she would have just been... The same as you would. You reach out for the people that you are most comfortable with when you're grieving. Yeah, the funerals for the people left behind, not the one that's gone, really, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Mm. Fox but was... didn't he, he, didn't he um, make some comment about Dudley and Empson? Oh, yes. During the... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which didn't seem to be quite appropriate for the, for the, for the occasion. <laughs> no, it's almost like, don't blame him. He's gone now. We need to make nice prayers. It wasn't his yes. fault. It was these people's fault. And you and I even considered the possibility for the way that they hired and surrounded him with their own cronies. I know, I know we got one comment that people weren't happy or someone wasn't happy that we were thinking that way, but we're trying to be as holistic as possible. And when you're surrounded mm. by somebody who's manipulative and all of his friends. Hmm? Doing Bray, I'm coming across a different feeling. I mean, obviously, Bray, Bray would have, is dead by the point that we're talking about now. He died in 1503. Yeah. But a lot of the things I'm reading imply that Henry was pulling the strings of Dudley and Empson. Ah, they were scapegoats so, then. Yes. Except for the ones that Because they, they weren't they didn't they definitely didn't commit treason. No. They, no, they definitely no. didn't commit treason. I don't know, maybe it was a bit of both. You've got Edmund and Dudley with Henry pulling the strings and every once in a while they're doing it on their own. Yeah, I mean this is frustrating. You just want to know who's one fault. way or the other. Yes. <laughs> Let's have a trial. <laughs> <laughs> just keep coming backwards and forwards, swinging backwards and forwards with everything you read. You think, ah, right, okay, that, oh no. No, wait <laughs> a second. <laughs> ah, but that's history. Yes. And one of the questions we put out on that pub quiz, uh, spoiler alert, was <laughs> Margaret Beaufort gambling when she sent somebody off, paid somebody off to do her pilgrimage. And I was re-listening to Elizabeth of York from Rex Factor yesterday, and they said the same thing about her. Oh, right. So I first started thinking maybe we confused the two, and then I found another mention of somebody else doing it, and I started wondering if that was a common thing. Maybe. That it didn't actually indicate that she had this major desire to gamble. It was just that you could pay people to do pilgrimages on your behalf, and that was accepted practice. There was an awful lot of twisting and quite a lot of wriggle room yeah. in, in religion, wasn't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense, because if you can pay for an indulgence, why can't you pay somebody else to do the pilgrimage for you? As long as they're thinking about you on the pilgrimage, doesn't that count? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Food for well, thought. Well, at some point, we could look at pilgrimages. We probably should. 
Especially during this rain, because they are going to peter out pretty quickly yeah. in rain number two. Yep. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll add that to the <laughs> list. I do like these special episodes because they do bring together lots of things that doesn't it doesn't really occur to you. And it's quite yes. good to remind yourself, because when we talk about these people, they all seem reasonably sane. They're busy. They're getting on with things. Yes. And it's nice to remind you that the Tudor times was weird. <laughs> yes, it was. These people had weird ideas. Yes, by our they did. Standards, and uh, lived very weird lives, um, from what we, from our, our standpoint as well. So, yeah. yes, I think those special episodes remind you of that from time to time. If they ever do a TV show, there was a time I remember. It's probably in the 90s, at least in Canada it was. They had people live the life of a, you can live the life of a settler. So they took people back to even having to carve out grass huts to start with. And they mm -hmm. did that for, I think it was supposed to be for a year, but I don't think anybody actually lived, lasted for the full year because it was too hard. Yeah. And there were a bunch of others. There's Life in 1800s House. That was yeah. done in the UK, and those, those are very popular. Yeah. There was one oh ages and ages ago about living as a caveman. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. And then there was the um, going back in time where they took four houses and they a bunch of families or five houses, mm. and they started walking them through by decade of what it was like. So one oh, of the right. houses were they were all servants. And then when the depression hit, the hell got laid off, <laughs> well fired. <laughs> that kind There's of thing. one about the war as well, trying to cook on the stuff you get from from rationing. Yes, yes. Mm. And then of course you've got my favourites, uh, Edwardian farm, Victorian farm. I mm. would love it if somebody made one for the Tudor era. I am in one hundred percent. I am coming. <laughs> I don't care if you invite me or not. I'll just show up. <laughs> I'll be a servant. Thank you. <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> That would be amazing. That would be absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm just wondering mm. about whether I would be required to wring the neck of a chicken or something. Ooh. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't know if I could do that. Mm. Mm. But still, I'd still want to do it. Back to Fox. Right, Fox. Yes. Fox, of course, we did talk about the fact that he was chosen to the, the reparations for all the recognizances and benevolences that Edmund and Dudley had extorted. Comments about these reparations from historians make me consider this from Fox's point of view this time. If you read about the early reign of Henry, you find that this commission, early reign of Henry VIII now, this commission oh, yeah. and the reparations are quite glossed over. The biographers of Fox and a few other historians make comments like half-hearted attempts or... Right, so it wasn't... There wasn't much money going out. No. Ah. <laughs> there really <laughs> only seems to be a few reparations and those don't seem to be in full amounts either. It was sort of token. Right. We're going to have to do it. There is no real documentation that I could get a hold of. So I'm left to wonder if it was Fox that didn't really have his heart in the task or if it was Henry VIII already spending so lavishly that he didn't want to give up any money. Yeah. 
Maybe don't look too hard at those Mm. petitions. Yeah, well, yeah, well, doesn't sound like something we're ever going to know. But no. I, know, I know where my I know where my thoughts lie. <laughs> <laughs> Until all that court documentation is digitized, and then somebody has the time to read every single one of them, we won't know. But, like you said, Fox, like all others, very much turned on Dudley and Empson making a few comments. Fox of course, was immediately one of the preeminent counselors for the young and inexperienced and possibly disinterested King Henry VIII. Mm. It doesn't seem... Do you think we've maligned Empson and Dudley? Do you think a lot... Of, it's a bit like um, Alexander VI. It's the people who came after that have built up this terrible reputation. If I mean we've we've got a, a special episode on a poor bloke called Thomas Sunniff, and he he went through hell, so yes. we know that some of it was definitely true. happened. Yeah, yes, but whether or not mm. it was at the behest of Dudley and Empson, or if they were just following orders, I well, don't... Dudley does say agree with the king. Yes, but it's mm. an easy thing to say. It is an easy thing to say. History's frustrating. I don't know. (laughs) All I know was I found it so hard to read through what they were doing. So Mm. unbelievably hard. Mm. I feel that we're past halfway now with Henry VII, unless we put more people in our box. (laughs) Which which we will. Which look quite likely. (laughs) (laughs) I feel feel I ought to have got to grips with it more, but there seems to be, on the one hand, but on the other hand... yes. Never mind. Only halfway. We'll know by the end. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that Fox became one of the preeminent counselors makes sense. Henry VII trusted him. Mm -hmm. And since after Arthur died, King Henry kept Prince Henry very close closeted with him. And you had to go through even his bedchamber to get to Henry. Henry would have had the most interaction with Fox and only a few other very trusted men. To this day, if my dad trusts someone, I automatically trust them. Well, I was just thinking, well, I wonder if it would be the opposite, whether he would want to assert his own oh. own right and own... own. He wasn't very assertive at the beginning, though. No, I don't think he was. Because, and he hadn't had the chance, had he? No, he hadn't <laughs> learned mm. that he could say yes or no yet. Mm. He soon did, though. Yeah. And it went badly. <laughs> Fox used his position of trust to move another of his protégés into the service of the new king, Thomas Wolsey. Thomas Wolsey? Yes, he enters the scene right away as the royal chaplain and almoner under Fox's support for King Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Lady Margaret Beaufort died three months after the accession of Henry VIII, Fox and John Fisher were named her executors as well, showing that she also trusted him. This included a task that fell in with one of Fox's passions. He was to complete the foundation of her foundation of St. John's College at Cambridge. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, and he was well suited to do this. He'd already revised and reformed three other colleges, so why Mm. not? In the new, because he doesn't have time. That's why. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. He made time when it came to Mm -hmm. education. He made time. 
Which is funny because he didn't make time for the ecclesiastic stuff at the beginning. <laughs> but now, even though he's got more to do, he's going to make time for education. In the new reign, Fox was now subordinate to William Warham, his protege, who was now Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's in our box, but he's in the next season's one. That's why. Yes, he's a bit more prominent in the next one. Yeah. I suppose we could put him in here since he started here. I don't know, because mm. we have so many people for Henry VIII's season. Yeah, but we're already talking about Henry VIII, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, very true. Mm. Very true. Fox was also, for the first time, experiencing resistance from the other new councillors. Prior to this, he had been so esteemed that it seemed that he and Reginald Bray would be able to sort of make a decision and everybody mm. would fall in line quite often. That's the feeling I got from reading some, through some of the documents and some yeah. of the letters where they're discussing it before they even get to the council chambers. And they know that those two were so close to the king that you can't really go against what they say because effectively you're going against the king. Yeah. You? Yeah. Mm. It's kind of sketchy for your head. <laughs> the new king wanted fun and glory and fox wasn't too keen on that approach he had spent no (laughs) he had spent the last entire reign attempting to gain peace and to gather money (laughs) Mm. it must have been so frustrating for all those people (laughs) who'd been with henry the seventh to watch it just all Dribbling away. Well, not dribbling, gushing away. It's like a waterfall. (laughs) Here we go. We break the dam. (laughs) The only reason he brought in Wolsey, well, speculation. In my opinion, one of the only reasons he brought in Wolsey to be the king's chaplain was to help sway his vote. Because the new counselors were all agreeing with the king. Yes, let's have tournaments. Yes, let's go to war. Yes, let's spend the money. Don't you need this? I would like this. You've got money. Let's just do it. So we brought in Wolsey as the king's chaplain, who would be almost in continual attendance on him. A chaplain was always expected to be ready to serve the king. So hopefully, since Wolsey also really liked gathering money and peace, mm-hmm. that, hey, maybe you'll help me with this. The council, however, was not willing to be swayed by Fox or to let Fox have the same amount of power as he did before. He was having a great deal of conflict between the two. They must have found him irritating, wasn't they? I mean, he was this sort of specter at the feasts. Yes. I mean, literally, I mean, the way he looked. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, they just want to have fun. And... Yes. And you've got this old stodgy man saying, no, yeah. no, look after your pennies and the dollars mm. will look after <laughs> themselves. Yes. Many more men were trusted by the new king, and the king appears to have been easily swayed. Mm. From some of it, it seems like the last person who spoke to him. Maybe that's why the privy chamber... (laughs) What's what's his name? Groom of the stool. Groom. Yes, the groom of the stool. So that was when this really became more impressive, because you could be the last person to speak to Henry and change his mind from what the council agreed to. That's That's the feeling here. Yes. The council have probably just sort of blasted out some some sensible policy. And then um, Henry says, oh, I'm just popping out for a minute. And he comes back and he's got completely different ideas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Instead of dominating the council, Fox was now being pushed aside. And it was quite blatant. Mm. 
The king wanted to spend money. His father had gathered it with Fox. And Fox was strenuously protesting. This did not make him popular with the young king, who had probably never been told no his entire upbringing. Nah. Mm. He wasn't brought up the same way as Arthur. He was brought up as the spare, not the heir. Fox's relationship with Archbishop Warham was also turning extremely sour. Warham was attempting to grab more power by taking ecclesiastical jurisdiction from the bishops and giving it to himself as the archbishop. They're absolutely shameless, aren't they, <laughs> yeah. these people? You're a churchman! <laughs> This would also reduce the bishop's income. And this isn't just Fox's bishopric. Remember Fox said his was the more succulent? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Archbishop... Not anymore. He was trying. <laughs> Maybe in reaction to the comment. <laughs> I'm not sure. But he wasn't just going after the Bishop of Winchester. He was going after all bishoprics. So none of the bishops were happy. And all fought against this. And when they were not winning, they petitioned Rome to intercede. Mm. The Pope agreed with the bishops, and it seems Warham never forgave Fox. It seems an incredibly stupid thing to do, doesn't it? Yes. Just to turn all your other bishops against you. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Didn't think it through. Yeah. Whoops. Fox was not totally excluded or ignored, however. He was still critical in diplomacy and was heading many initiatives with foreign powers. Part of that is because he was who they had been dealing with. Yeah, they already know him, don't they? Yes. So. You've already built up that relationship of trust and everything, and you can almost see in quite a few, and we will mention it later, the potentates of other places didn't want somebody else. They were actually demanding Fox. So Henry kind of had to. It's hard to say if he wanted him there or if he was being forced to have him as his diplomat. Also, he might have wanted to get him out of the country so they could just true. vote through more tournaments. And True. Very true. <laughs> Fox headed a delegation that renewed the Treaty of Etaples with Louis the Twelfth in 1510. And that, again, brought in more money because now Louis was paying that annuity to mm. Henry, including the back pay that he had stopped paying Henry VII for not invading Eng uh, France. I wonder where he's getting the money from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure because... You can't Louis get it from Henry anymore. <laughs> no, Louis XII didn't have that much money. Hmm. Fox was also the only one they could turn to to smooth the feathers of James of Scotland, James IV. If you remember, they were now friends. Oh, yeah. They trusted mm. each other. They dined with each other when they did see each other. Instead of being a diplomat having to apply to see the king when you arrive at court, Fox was there for dinner. Like, hey, come on in. This is my mm. family. You know my wife. <laughs> <laughs> The Scottish pirate Andrew Barton, who apparently was quite an interesting character, was captured and interrogated along with his sailors in England. Fox was the one that had to go smooth the ruffled feathers. This is one of those ones was, is he a pirate or was he a privateer? Mm. And what does interrogated mean? I interrogated. Mm. In inverted commas. Yes. 
Other diplomats had been tried to go to James in smooth waters. Didn't work. They had to use Fox. So the fact that others had gone first makes me think that everybody in the council was really trying to push Fox out. And if it wasn't for these relationships he had with the other monarchs, it might not have gone as well for him as you would think. Yeah, I imagine he's the sort of person who wouldn't say anything. He'd just say, it'd be like Jeeves, you know, certainly, sir, I'll be on my way. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that perfect stoic, wait. And he's like, you're not going. Yes, sir. (laughs) You wait in the back of your mind like, let's watch this. In 1512, Henry chose Fox to organize the preparations for the invasion of France. Uh-huh. Again, why? He's a bishop. Mm. They all multitasked to a ludicrous extent. They did. In this case, I think it was because Fox had been so efficient and so successful when he brought in all the provisions and all the military equipment for Durham for the invasion and to fight mm. the invasion from Scotland that he was a better choice. A lot of Henry's counselors didn't have any experience preparing that kind of invasion. They'd been part of a military invasion. No, well, I suppose they hadn't They hadn't really had, had anything in Henry VII's time. No. To practice on. Yes. I mean, yes, you had Scottish incursions, but nothing big. Yes, and they had attended as a military person, but they hadn't organized it. Hmm. So... Maybe he was, again, the only choice. A lot of historians say, look, he was so important, he got to do this. But then I started looking at who else could have and came Mm. up with no one. Well, no, the Duke of Norfolk seemed to have some experience gathering Mm. military men and arms and armor, but not to the same extent as Fox had. I would love if somebody could come back and tell us if there was somebody that would be a better fit for this based on experience. Because I didn't find any, but I didn't have a lot yeah, of time to Yeah, and at least they chose someone who did have experience, because Rich the Third yes. chose Francis Lovell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. This is the first time we hear, hmm, maybe we should get somebody who's actually capable. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting Yeah, we'll get thought. someone who's actually been on a boat before <laughs> to, to start <laughs> g- gathering a fleet. <laughs> get someone who's seen a boat. <laughs> yes. Uh, Fox is now either 64 or 65. And he's preparing a military invasion. His age and possibly some of his infirmities made Fox write his will before he joined the invasion. He wasn't entirely sure. People often did, though, didn't they? You don't know whether you're coming back. Yes, but he wasn't a combatant. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I suppose once you get to 65 at that time. Yeah. You're going to. (laughs) You're watching everybody around you fall like flies. Hmm. His most important act that he wanted completed was his foundation of what would become his absolute obsession, the Corpus Christi College at Oxford. We did mention it earlier. This is the Body of Christ College Mm. in English. He was going to have it completed regardless of whether he survived the invasion, expedition, whatever you want to call it, and was to be funded by the sale of his personal property. Mm. He was going to fund it himself which he doesn't really have anybody to pass it on to. I was just thinking that, yes. he's mm-hmm. He hasn't done a Pope Alexander. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He was very ascetic in that way. Mm. 
Fox not only traveled with the military, but was present at Terawan, where he got kicked by a mule. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, that's an interesting war wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though he was struggling to walk, he still managed to conduct the negotiations. <laughs> Historian Dries says, quote unquote, very possibly from a stretcher. All right. Yeah, so he was very injured. So he's now being carried around on a stretcher and still doing the negotiations. I wonder if they had sort of bath chairs and wheelchairs then. They still had litters. Yeah. Yeah, a stretcher just seems, it seems as if it must be an extremely bad injury if he actually can't sit up. Yeah. I don't know. He didn't have much fat to cushion him, did he really? (laughs) No. He recovered well enough to negotiate the surrender of Tournai back to the French the next fall, then travel back to London. I hope I'm that capable in my 60s. (laughs) Yeah, should be. People usually are in their 60s now. (laughs) Yes. The Pope was declaring peace and attempting to bring about peace between the Holy Roman Empire, Spain, and France. And Fox and Wolsey fully supported this. They were both pushing for Henry to join in these peace talks. But he also had Catherine and Ferdinand on the other side say, no, go to war with France, go to war with France. Yes. God, that was complicated. (laughs) (laughs) But one of our best episodes, well, I loved Ferdinand episode. The stance of peace above war and not spending money seems to have really brought Fox down in Henry's estimation. He was quite angry. But it doesn't affect his opinion of Wolsey. Hmm. What do you think Wolsey, because Wolsey was with the king at all times, is he saying the same thing when he's on his own with the king that he's saying in front of Fox? I believe so. Right. Because if we get later in Wolsey, Wolsey was quite angry that after he had done the whole field of cloth of gold to get the peace between France, this is after, he was quite upset that Henry then declared war on France anyway. Yeah, Henry must have been a nightmare to work for. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Peace was managed between England and France, and Fox was present at the proxy marriage of Mary Tudor to Louis XII. Fox did all of this, off in France, while being still extremely active in the Sea of Winchester. With his brothel, Mm -hmm. maybe. (laughs) (laughs) He managed to perform every ordination himself between 1509 and 1516. 219 of them. These are people who are becoming ordained as priests. Mm. So it wasn't a small task. No. And that's just one of them. He was completing investigations, ordering investigations, forcing archdeacons to resign if they were causing too many abuses or being absent, and replace them with his nephews. Oh. <laughs> so he did have people to leave things to. Oh, yes. He was very into nepotism. Right. Okay. <laughs> and he renovated. That's a pity. <laughs> <laughs> he renovated, renovated, renovated. Fox's interest in building and architecture continued in Winchester, installing buttresses to support high walls and roofs, revaulting the aisles, choir buttresses, and building both a chantry chapel and his own tomb. He knew what he mm. wanted. And he... I'm getting is older. his tomb there? Yes, it is. 
Mm, I must pop down to Winchester at some point. Yes, you It'll must be popping, pop. Popping for you. <laughs> yes. I would love to pop. <laughs> we do see his aging in his renovations. There's a note that in the hospital and almshouse of St. Cross, this is a hospital that was part of the Winchester Sea, during his revitalization of both the building and the purpose of the building, he had railings installed to help him climb the stairs. Prior to that, yeah. railings weren't a thing. Oh. Yes. Is that the first railings? I'm not sure, but it's the first railings mentioned in his buildings that he had hmm. to have start getting them installed because he was struggling with stairs. I don't know when railings became a thing. I would imagine they'd be a thing if there were no walls on both sides. You'd want mm. something to keep you from tumbling off the stairs. Well, there we are. Something I've never thought of. When did railings come in? Yes. I came across the same question. Like, wait a second. Why? Why does he need to specifically have railings installed? But it's mentioned a lot. St. Cross became his absolute favorite place to stay, and his protege, John Claymond, visited him often there and was eventually appointed its master by Fox in 1517. So his protégés don't seem to be disappointing him, at least. Hmm, good. Yeah. And I, I do Because they could have sided with Henry, which would have been so disappointing oh, yeah. for him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, crushing. I do love the mention that one of the reasons St. Cross did become his favorite place to stay was because he could visit John Claymond easily there. So they had to have been fairly fond of each other to want to spend yeah. that much time together. In 1513, we can see his approach to heresy was not the literal fire and brimstone approach. Remember how I kept saying how gentle he was with us? Mm -hmm. And when you get to Mary's reign, it just goes off the rails. The Lollards rose in his new see and in quite a large group. He had already dealt with his heresy in Durham. This particular group was seen as particularly dangerous because their leader, Thomas Dennis, was an organizer, had connections to other groups throughout southern England, and were now making copies of the English Bible that had been translated by John Wycliffe and handing them out. Mm. They were now disseminating the heretical books. The printing press yeah. is up and running. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, yes, it's, it seems a pity that we're sort of forced into this position of thinking, oh, Tusta, they're just <laughs> heretics. And you think, but it seems so obvious. Of course you want the Bible in your own language. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Fox prosecuted Dennis and his group of followers that were in his see. Out of all that were tried and found guilty, only Dennis, at the judgment of the vicar general Dowman, was burned at the stake. Dennis is the only person that Fox allowed to be burnt. He stepped in with every single other person. But Dennis had already in the past committed heresy and repented in other seas. Mm -hmm. So he's multiple times. It restricts his ability to say, no, don't burn him at the stake, because that is written law. You don't get a second chance, ever. Mm. You get one chance, and then that's it. And it appears he had fled the other seas before his sentence could be carried out. And this was the only time he got caught and could not flee. Mm. His luck had run out at this point. Yes. 
Fox was so much more merciful for all the others whenever he could. There were many more that could have been burned. There were many more that could have been flogged. Instead, he had them walking barefoot every Sunday to do a pilgrimage, that kind of thing. Public humiliation rather than physical damage, Mm -hmm. which isn't common. Not at all. So, yeah, very gentle man, even in his punishments that he meted out. It's funny, we look about that as being much more gentle, but we wouldn't do public humiliation these days. It's con- It would be considered terrible, yes. wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Instead, we just lock them up for a really long time. Yeah. I don't know if that's better. No. I don't know. Certainly more expensive. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. As we know, these attempts to reign in the heresy does not succeed. It just doesn't. But it did postpone it in his see. By 1515, the threat of heresy in Winchester had been completely put down in his diocese, mainly through those public penances and threats of excommunication. He did not go over that edge and do the floggings. And he never, there is no mention whatsoever of him using interrogation practices. And by interrogation, I mean torture. In 1516, Fox attempts to retire from the king's service, possibly with the encouragement of Wolsey, who by now had far surpassed all others in the king's estimation. He will be quite prominent in our next season. Mm -hmm. Is that because he wanted to take over all of Fox's roles or he just thought the old man has passed it? it? It comes across more as a health thing. Right. You're getting quite old. You're struggling to move around. I mean, you've just had railings installed everywhere. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> the Council of Henry VIII was now extremely cutthroat. There are many more men. More of them are being trusted by the king and are able to fight and wrangle much more than it was at the time of Henry. Retirement, though, was almost unusual and almost, un- well, It was almost unheard of. Is that because people just didn't reach a retirement age? They just sort of... You were expected to hold the office till you died. All right. They would just sort of pootle along until they suddenly got ill and keeled over. No. Mm. You may be replaced by the king, but voluntarily stepping down was shocking. All right. Wolsey, though, he may have encouraged the retirement after Fox had left, kept trying to pull him back in. (laughs) (laughs) I need your voice on the council. Several times. He just kept trying. It was so unusual that Fox actually had to sit down and convince the king that his particular service wasn't essential anymore. It wasn't just... Despite the fact he'd just spent ages saying, you need me, you need me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You don't need me. You don't need me. You don't need me. (laughs) Let me go. He also did not manage it cleanly. Now, if we retire, we're done, we're gone. Goodbye. He continued to be called on for the next seven years. So what is he? 73? 74? Mm-hmm. Mm. When he did manage to stay away from court and council, he was still constantly receiving letters for advice and decisions for things at court. From Woolsey or from everybody? From everybody. He never mm. got away from it. 
The retirement, possibly because of it being unique, also was not conveyed properly, maybe not at all, to the other foreign courts. So they just thought, where is he? Yes, and they just kept demanding that he'd be the one to take care of their business. (laughs) He was being written to by foreign heads of states. They either didn't care that he wanted to retire or they didn't know. It's never really made clear. Or they had no idea what a retirement was. Mm. I don't understand. Is he still alive? Yes. Well, then I'll write to him. (laughs) (laughs) In May 1517, against his wishes, he was appointed by the king, along with Thomas More, to investigate enclosure violations against an act from 1490. And in my head, all I can hear is this old man screaming at the top of his voice, I'm retired! (laughs) This is a lot of travel! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if he he can barely move... Yes. It seems a bit much to expect him to drag himself out all the time. (laughs) You're only riding a mule, it's fine. (laughs) Yes, but he's probably got a mule phobia by this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, after getting kicked. He was also visited by the Venetian ambassador the same year, but the meeting had to be delayed for a while because Fox had come down with a sweating sickness. Ooh. He survived. I don't know how a man in his 70s and Tudor times managed to survive the sweating sickness, but he did. Mm. The next year in 1518, he was given the honor. (laughs) Remember what honor means? Yes, work. Of being a prelate of the Order of the Garter. And then ordered to rewrite the society's governing statutes from the ground up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to stop ever. (laughs) It's not going to happen. I wanted to work in my garden. Actually, that's not Mm. what he wanted to do at all. (laughs) 1520. He's now four years after his retirement. He was made regent. Oh. At the age of 72. Hmm. With Fox now pleading not to be made regent because his age and health. Like, please do not do this to me. We've got letters of him begging to be released from being the regent for the government. He was left with a skeleton crew of the council. And while Henry and the rest of the government went off to the field of cloth of gold to meet with French King Francis... He was required to make every and all decision. So he just... I would so be saying, (sighs) what the hell? (laughs) What are you doing to me? I am retired. Is there really really nobody else to do it? (laughs) Apparently not. He was the only person Henry would trust. That's... That's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? Well, we'll find find out all about the people around Henry next season, but... (laughs) Mm. I know. What? What? No. No, I'm not doing this. Please don't make me do this. You're doing it. Is that partly, do you think, because Henry himself can now see the money's disappearing and he thinks, oh, well, that nice man that that looked Ooh. after my dad managed to get, make money out of nowhere. Perhaps he could do Possibly. it again. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I just. Mm. He could have pretended to have gone daft by that time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't. (laughs) Uh, He also was not able to fully pull away from the secular duties of his position as bishop, which surprised me. In my head, I didn't think they had secular duties. 
But it turns out they did. He was, of course, of the most important and richest see, since it was so close to court. Mm. He was required to host dignitaries whenever they came to England. I suppose the Pope had a secular role as well, definite, a definite secular role. So yes. maybe it was more that this is your kingdom. You know, you've got to look after the soul and the body. Yes. Mm. I'm not sure. But whenever he hosted the dignitaries, he was also hosting the king and all of his court. <laughs> <laughs> and That would be exhausting would, enough. I it think. would really be. <laughs> And the king, when he came by, which he did, apparently quite often, with his entire court, he also had to put up Wolsey while Wolsey was constructing Hampton Court. He was living with him while Wolsey was building Hampton Court. <laughs> Again, in my head, will these people never leave me in peace? Go yes, away! coming down in his pajamas saying, <laughs> well, it's getting late. <laughs> The most illustrious visitor had to be King Henry, accompanied by King Charles V. Oh. Yeah, King Charles is now in England. We have hit that point. <laughs> the Holy Roman Emperor, King Charles of Spain, who stayed with him in Winchester in 1522. Mm. Pretty cool. He just, he could never get away. Could never, no. ever get away. Interestingly, he was also seriously ill after this visit. It makes you wonder if these visits are starting to take their toll. Just too much. Yeah. yeah. I just can't deal with it. Or the fact that you're bringing diseases from a different country yes. into your country and giving it to a 75-year-old. Back to what he thought he was going to do in his retirement. He's 68 at this point, so we've gone back. He was losing his eyesight, but still had more to do. He turned his full attention onto clerical duties his subordinates, and his flock. He told Cardinal Wolsey in a letter that he was occupied day and night with, quote, other men's enormities and vices more than I dare write. He was going to do, I love this, sum satisfaction for 28 years of negligence. I just love the way they, they spelled that. <laughs> sum, S-U-U-M. <laughs> <laughs> So what, 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 what's he saying here? What's... He is riddled with guilt for the fact that he did not do enough as a cleric. Oh, right. Okay. And the number of times in all of his letters about how this was haunting him, you can really see somebody seriously guilt riddled. Now, whether that's because he thinks he's not going to heaven because of it, or he generally thinks that he should have been helping people, I'm not sure. Mm. Both. Yeah. We can believe in the negligence. We know it happened. Um, historian Marjorie Howden, she researched the registers of Fox. Those are records of the church sees, and compared them with other sees. And she found that corrections of abuses and recalling of non-resident clergy, those that did not live in their parish, weren't performed thoroughly when he was not in residence. So the first three places that he was just didn't happen. Mm. Fox at that time was more involved in court business. He had no time. The records do show some visitations, but with him not being in direct residence, he also wasn't fully aware of what was going on in those seas. You can only get so much of a picture by somebody writing to you. And he was being to told to be at court, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Mm. Part of it, I don't, 
I'm not sure if you had the ability to say, no, I am no longer in court. I don't think so, because I've come across um, things in Bray that bishops are begging to be sent back to their own Ooh. places. <laughs> and okay. Henry VII is saying, no, no, we need you. And okay. you know, the bishops are even offering to pay to go. So. <laughs> you would think Henry would have jumped on that. Or he might have done might have done by that point, but yeah, perhaps he was holding out for that. You never know. <laughs> Fox continued to feel this guilt while he began his work in the church, writing, quote, If I did continual penance for all of the days of my life, though I should live twenty years longer than I may, I could not yet make sufficient recompense, therefore. So he's saying no matter how hard he tries, mm. even if he has another 20 years, which he'd be in his 90s, good luck with that, he would never actually get rid of the guilt because he hadn't done enough. Hmm. That's not, a, not how you want to feel towards the end of your life, is it? No. What his idea was for the retirement, and I love how he says this, and then you realize that it doesn't occur. He had, quote, Utterly renounced the meddling with worldly matters. End quote. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry, that's not the mm. way this is going to go. Mm. Fox decided to devote what was left of his life remaining to the church, reforming monastic abuses and saving the souls of all those under his guidance in the church. Specifically, the four women's convents slash nunneries that were in his diocese. Romsey, St. Mary Winchester, a.k.a. Nunneminster. Apparently it's called Nunneminster. I've heard of that. Hmm. Werewell and Whitney. I love that even the nuns could rebel. (laughs) (laughs) Fox had required a new abbess to be chosen, and one of the nuns voted in was just as bad as the previous abbess. (laughs) He throws out one, tells them they need to elect another one, and that one was just as bad. (laughs) Perhaps that's why they elected them, because they thought, (laughs) we're happy with how things are. Yes. Now, if anybody knows Wolsey, this is quite a shocking twist for Wolsey. He criticized Fox for being too severe with his requirements with the nuns. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) You're, You're telling them they have to actually follow the Benedictine rule? What? Mm. (laughs) This is Wolsey. You're a cardinal. (laughs) And Wolsey was so corrupt. At least Mm. from what I know of him. He had a mistress for one. Mm. That seems to go with being a cardinal, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. He was turning their convents or Winchester's convents and nunneries into cloistered orders because he couldn't keep them out of taverns. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is a reason. <laughs> Cloistered orders mean that they never leave the grounds. Mm. He was convinced that this was the only way to keep them pure. Quote, for otherwise there can be, I'm going to send this to you for the spelling, for mm-hmm. otherwise can be no surety of the observance of good religion, end quote. Because they're doing naughty things. They are. They yeah, are. I mean, going down the pub, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> With men. <laughs> With men. With men. Ooh. Yes. Not in groups. <laughs> 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 I'm unsure why Wolsey sought to criticize Fox. The nuns didn't. 
The nuns? No, I wonder if they just sort of walked out every evening saying, Die, I'll be back around 11 or something. But, or or not they at had all. to sneak out, yeah. I'm assuming they just walked out considering that they were also ordered. This was another mm. convent where they were ordered not to go anywhere near the abbess's chambers at night because of what she was up to. Oh, right. <laughs> Fox allowed the nuns a good deal of leeway in how they ordered themselves compared to other convents. Fox then translated the rule of St. Benedict's for convents from Latin to English to ensure all of the nuns, regardless of their education, could read it, because Latin wasn't being taught properly. Mm. It was supposed to be that as you were going through the beginning of becoming a nun as a postulant, you were to t learn Latin so you could read the Bible, and that wasn't happening. And he realized and it, trying to educate that many nuns now, possibly not. Let's put it into English. And um, yes, but you're not allowed to read the Bible in English. No, but that's Holy Scripture. This is mm. just a saint's words. Shouldn't that be okay? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I thought about that too, but since... A lot of the scriptures, like St. Augustine's, had already been translated into multiple languages by the Pope. Maybe that set a precedent? Hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. We say I don't know an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> there were also previously translated copies available, but Fox didn't like them because they were incomplete and twisted. So the meaning wasn't correct. Right. I guess somebody who didn't really know their Latin had tried to do it. Mm. I don't mean twisted as in somebody wanted to make it bad. It was just that maybe they didn't have the proper education. The hard-to-translate paragraphs were apparently, in some copies, just completely left out. Yeah, that's what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to follow the Order of St. Benedict, but we're only giving you half of it. <laughs> we're not doing the ones with the complicated words. <laughs> Fox himself included those passages and expanded on them to ensure that they were understandable. So you'll see often one side in the margins. Do you know why they have margins? I just found out why margins were there. To fill with your own notes? No. Because no. the rats and mice would eat the edges of the pages, even if oh. they were piled up, and it saved the words. Wow. So margins were actually quite wide. Mm. Back then, now they're about an inch. But yeah, that's why. Well, you learn you learn something on this podcast, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just find it funny that we've kept margins going without actually any reason. Oh, I don't know if you live in a place like this, you have a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't say that. We have mice here because we have a field. As soon as you have mm. any sort of farmland, you're going to deal with rats and mice. Mm. Fox clarified that an abbot and an abbess should be the father and mother of the monastery or convent, caring for each member as much as caring for the organization. He felt that was lacking. They didn't actually care about the individuals, just the whole thing surviving. He also clarified what constituted a senior who could be sought for advice. We're seeing that, I guess, you go to another postulate and ask a question. That postulant gives you the answer they think is correct, and the errors just keep compounding. Mm. So now he was, this is how you become a senior. You have to have learned this much. You have to be able to do this before somebody can ask you for advice about how to behave. It's only through Fox that we find this was a source of contention. I did not 
find anyone else having a problem with the way people were getting education through the cloisters about how to be a nun. So I'm not sure why Fox focused in on this, except for the fact that all the nuns were behaving so poorly and he felt that everybody <laughs> was doing slightly less. In Presumably Fox's... nuns were behaving the same across the country. It wasn't just a Winchester thing. Yeah, but mm. he could only affect his own see. Mm. In Fox's translation, we can also see that he did not believe in flagellation. Hmm. Good. Yes. So you can assume that he's not flagellating himself. He clarifies the text of, quote, chastening the body, quote, to include, quote, so this is in St. Benedict's, it says chastening the body, and that's all it says. So right. on his little side bit, he puts, quote, that is to say, with reasonable abstinence, watch, prayer, and discipline. So no beating yourself. Not whacking yourself with a stick. And no wearing hair shirts. Ah. So maybe he didn't wear a hair shirt. Mm. He just didn't eat. His approach was strict, but also gentle. He stressed, and he made sure this was followed in the Winchester Sea, that girls cannot be presented to the convent without being of legal age. Girls were being abandoned at very young ages. You can't just dump your kids. Yeah. Yes. Two, three, four years old were just being dropped off for the convent. They were being dedicated to the convent. They weren't being abandoned as if they were orphans. They were physically, they were being given to the convent as a source of repentance for the parents. You dedicated a child to the church and you would spend less time in purgatory. That was the hope. Also, you wouldn't have to feed the child. That too. Hmm. Yes. We can't tell you what the legal age was because he doesn't mention it. He just says that they have to be minimum legal age. I couldn't find what that legal age was. Watch, it's five. <laughs> I don't know. But I still appreciated that he was really pushing that. You can't just abandon a poor little kid into mm. a convent for the rest of their life. I wonder where those poor little kids were being abandoned now. Ooh, I didn't think of that part. Mm. I'm not sure. Because maybe the convent was the only place you thought, okay, well, I'm, we can't afford to keep this child. At least they'll get we fed can. there. Yeah. Uh. Fox did not just provide one copy of his Rule of St. Benedict for convents per organization. He used the printing press to make multiple copies to provide a copy for each member within each convent. He was adamant that everybody was going <laughs> to learn this. You may not read it, but you're going to have a copy. He also provided manuscripts that were appropriate for the convents, like one that still exists at Cambridge that contains the order for a profession of a nun. This is the ceremony of a woman becoming a nun after completing their postulants. And there are musical notations. So if somebody with a musical bent could even hear what that girl woman would have heard during her ceremony, mm. which is quite nice. Mm. I like that. Well, is this sort of plain chant? It doesn't say. It probably wouldn't be polyphony. Mm. I don't know. And organs didn't exist yet, I don't think. Around 1511, Fox began the creation of the Corpus Christi College at Oxford, Body of Christ. So he started it before he retired. 
it takes quite a bit to organize things. I don't mean foundation of the building. I mean just starting to gather everything together. This may at first appear to be a secular concern that he was saying he was going to stand offish. But the teaching was to be based on the chapter monks of Winchester Cathedral, what they were supposed to be doing, not what they actually were <laughs> doing at this point, and was intended specifically to educate both secular men and clergy in theology. In fact, he indentured the monks in Winchester to ensure the college was founded through sale of his possessions and how it was to be financed through future years through leases of property. He was making the monks themselves responsible for the upkeep, the creation of upkeep if he passed away. He was giving them the indenture because the college was being built for them. It was intended at this point to educate the brothers of the Winchester Monastery. Right. The monks were supposed to study there. Monks from St. Swithin in Winchester were to be appointed bishop scholars, and one would serve as a warder. That's the person that says, don't go out after five. Mm -hmm. No drinking. Yep. Yep. No running in the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think running in the hallway is probably the least of the problems. <laughs> yeah. Fox began by buying the land the buildings were going to be constructed on. Where are you going to put them? He started. I'm trying this. to think where it is, actually. I mean, I know Oxford quite well, and I can't. I just can't place Corpus Christi. I don't know. Corpus Christi is where the white magnifying glass is on this map. It's number three. Where are we? That's oh, St. Aldate's. Yeah. All right, okay. The land purchases took a long time in Tudor England, so he started those very early. Apparently, they could take sometimes years, almost decades, to get the land purchases through. Really? If you remember, there were a lot of arguments about who owned what land. Yeah. You had to settle did, those. You didn't have proper deeds. That's yes. The problem. So. so you had to settle those first before you could then purchase the land from the rightful owner. Mm. What a pain. Yeah. He was elderly and didn't want his dream to die if he did, so he made sure that the monks were going to be doing this, and he started it early. He had the current buildings on the land eradicated. He demolished them so he could start construction. It was in 1515 that Fox decided to change his mind about the ultimate goal of this college. His original intent, as I just mentioned, was to specifically educate the monks. He changed this now to educate young men, quote, who by their learning shall do good in the church, end quote. So he's now going to train men for secular priesthood, and instead of 20 students, he was going to admit 60. Hmm. Secular priests are non-monastic priests that commit themselves to a single diocese. All right. So just a bog-standard priest, but not a, yes. not a monk. Yes. But they could also move up in the church. Now that he had tripled the number, he had to increase the entail to the university to keep it funded through time. He went on a buying spree of land all over England whose rents would fund the college, supplementing the resources he was assigning from his Episcopal lands. So he's now in perpetuity assigning some money from Winchester Cathedral to go to Corpus Christi College. Mm. But it was never going to be enough, so now he was just buying up land for rents to be paid out. He also turned to people he knew for financial contributions to ensure the buildings could be paid for. He then had to go to Henry VIII to receive a royal license to build the college, which I didn't know you needed. 
trying to work out whether that makes sense or not. I think Henry VII probably put in, in place rules that meant that you had to ask the king for everything. Probably. He received the royal license in 1516, slightly before he decided his retirement. <laughs> yes. With the charter stating its its purpose was to, quote, eradicate heresy and error, end quote. All right. Okay. Yeah. Using his previous experiences, he wrote the college's statutes himself and chose the positions that needed to be held. If you remember, well, that he's makes already... sense because, yeah, he's, he's, he's the one to do it, really, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He's already done it based on mm. the Pope telling him to rewrite statues and the statutes. <laughs> and then Margaret Beaufort having him set up her college. Mm hmm. He chose the positions that needed to be held. In total, 50 men would run the college, which was substantial. It was quite large compared to the other colleges. It is if you've only got 60, 60 the pupils. amount of students kept increasing. All right. I do love one of the strictures. The president was to be a priest, but never a bishop. It's in the statutes that you cannot be a bishop. <laughs> is that just because you'd be too busy? No. You'd be dragged off for other things or, oh, didn't trust bishops? <laughs> this goes back to the bishop president of Maudlin College that was such a failure. Oh, right. Oh, that's just one person. <laughs> it was bad <laughs> enough for him to say never again. <laughs> there were many other strictures that he put in place, but I don't want to bore everyone by listening to them because they're long. Needless to say, the president had to be a good moral character and firm. <laughs> Those were your two things. Fair enough. Foxen did something quite surprising. He decided on a humanistic curriculum. It's the first of its kind in England. Humanism was now becoming a big thing, but mm. it was also controversial. It would, of course, teach sp scriptural works, but would abstain from the medieval scriptural works that he felt were flawed and instead focus on ancient texts. Mm. He really broke the mold with the inclusion of <gasps> Greek language. Yes, the people were funny about Greek, weren't they? Yes. That's because they're heretics. They're the Greek mm. Orthodox Church. Oh, true. Yes. Or the Roman Catholic Church. And then he built on that scandalous inclusion with Greek classical and religious texts. Mm. So you're going to take what the religious heretics are reading and put it in your college? I suppose you have to know what what you're up against. Well, maybe. no, a lot of these were still included in the Catholic texts of approval. The heresy didn't come till much later. Right. So these are pre then, but still it had that taint. It was such a unique and scandalous approach that people protested. Oh. <laughs> people out and out protested. A faction at Oxford was ultra-conservative, and they decided to protest and organize themselves with the name Trojans. <laughs> <laughs> they were so opposed to Greeks that they decided to be Trojans. <laughs> we have to keep in mind, we always have to keep in mind that the Greek Orthodox Church was a schism, and it was still trying to be healed. I think it's still trying to be healed. <laughs> it is very much the enemy. The Trojans denounced the inclusion of anything Greek. They were so vocal that it got to court. It got to the... Everything went to court. Yes. <laughs> Henry got involved 
He was good friends with Erasmus and Thomas More. Those are mm. both humanists, and they both studied Greek. Yeah. So one of the Trojans did a denouncing sermon at Oxford. That denouncing sermon was told to Thomas. Thomas brought it to Henry. Henry immediately came to the defense of Fox and Corpus Christi College. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, surprising. <laughs> With Fox's daring and the king's support, education in England, which had remained pretty uniform and honestly stagnant for most of the medieval period. Yeah, we were way behind everybody else. Yes. In Europe, yeah. That's why the Renaissance had several years difference between what hit France and Burgundy and then what hit England. Mm. And this is presumably why they were all Trojans in this country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fox's approach changed dramatically how, what the college was like, how they studied, and what they studied. And that change spread. Mm. Oh. It has the king's support. So you would think everybody would want to please the king. Well, maybe we should include Greek. Hmm. Well, it had to, it had to happen sometime here, I suppose. <laughs> well, and then it sort of again went stagnant because it became the regular type of education for the next 400 years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you went to school in uh, Victorian times, that's exactly what you'd have learned. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What Fox told you to 400 years earlier. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. While Greek was daring, Fox put in the statutes that the scholars had to attend lectures on morality, logic, and natural philosophy, as well as all the others. Mm. This was in the hopes to ensure good behavior and character. Yep. <laughs> he had, after all, just done some investigations on other colleges where they were running riot mm. <laughs> or roughshod. They were running roughshod over the rules. Scripture passages were also required to be read to the scholars during mealtimes, and the diners had to be silent. So you were to eat and listen. You were not supposed to talk. Hmm. Fox also ordered that fellows, those are the instructors, and the scholars, the students, they had to share rooms to ensure good behavior. <laughs> yes, you'd be living with one of your teachers. I don't suppose either of them wanted for that. Wanted that. No, no. In his strictures, it even says that there is a high bed for the fellow, the teacher, and there must be a rollout truckle bread for the scholar. So he gets to sleep on the floor, but at least it's a truckle bed. Hmm. But you're below the fellow. It was, again, to force that separation of hierarchy of what is, hmm. why can I not think of the word? Not quite bunk beds. Society's but... roles. Hmm. Punishments were harsh in my mind, but actually common practice and still quite gentle from writing lines, being denied meals, to floggings. And of course, expulsion if you're really, really hor horrific. Fox donated his library to the college. I was shocked by this. Over 150 volumes. That would have cost a bob or two before printing. Yeah. Mm. Most of them were written pre-printing press. So there's somebody who sat handwriting all mm -hmm. of these 150 volumes out, and those were unbelievably expensive. Mm. While he's building up Corpus Christi College, he's still active in monastic reform. And to aid this, he translated the Benedictine rule into plain round English in 1517. Again, for a man that was so obsessed with the Bible staying in Latin, like you mentioned, mm. yeah, <laughs> this weird. is in England. 
Yes. He made sure that Latin was a main point of education at his college because of this. He was very much aware that many of the monks and nuns and lower clergy, clergy could not read Latin. So he's going to make it something that had to be taught. And then the scholars, so the students, were expected to teach others that could not afford to pay. All right. So, so it's a trickle down. Yes. And there is some back and forth about whether or not it's not written in the statutes, but it seems to have been expected and started at the beginning that those scholars were expected to spend some time at monasteries to teach Latin to the monks that couldn't read it. I would just think, yeah, um, Kramer, Manius Maleficarum, part of his tr tr uh, training as a, oh, what, were the, what were they? Inquisitor? Yeah, no, the Order of Monks. Begins with D. I keep wanting to say Dalmatian. Definitely not Dalmatian. <laughs> They're spotted. Dominican. Dominican. <laughs> he was a Dominican. And the training for that was about 14 years. But a lot of that was teaching. So oh, okay. So you were learning and teaching at the same time. So, yeah, that seems to be a thing, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. He was also still active in Maudlin College, ordering yet another investigation. And <laughs> he's he was still, still up to it then. <laughs> yes. Still up to whatever it was they were doing before. Yeah. And he was still master of Pembroke College in Cambridge. He resigned that mastership in 1518 when Corpus Christi College finally started taking off. He also founded two grammar schools that would fund boys' learning. Yes, One he in did. Taunton. Yes. Still here. Still there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one in Grantham in Lincolnshire. All right. They would educate in Latin for free anyone who wanted to attend. I'm not sure I... if it's still for free. I thought Bishop's Fox was a private school, but I'm not sure. <gasps> I don't know. I don't know. He would have been horrified if that's the case. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he provided the deeds to a few Episcopal properties to the Grantham School to pay for the upkeep of a schoolmaster, as well as the construction of the schoolhouse. And he paid out of his personal funds to have things built. So both Taunton and Grantham were paid for. And yeah, they were supposed to get rents to pay for it in perpetuity. I'd imagine that those rents didn't keep up with the cost of running the school. But still, private no. school? I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. I'm beginning to beginning to backtrack on that now. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> By 1519, Fox's vision was declining, and I feel for him. <laughs> he became completely blind in 1521. Only then, only then did he manage to retire from the secular duties. <laughs> right. Except that he was required to attend Parliament in 1523. <laughs> And he attended a convocation at Westminster to stand up against the king's demand for a subsidy from the church. That was to finance another invasion into France. And the number of letters that were coming to him from foreign potentates that were still trying to get his intercession. Yeah, but well, they're probably saying, what, he's still alive? Oh, okay. Great. And, 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 and. Mm. Oh, poor man. I know, he just can't get away from it. Even the loss of his sight didn't stop him from working at his ecclesiastical duties. He just relied on others to do his reading and writing. He had been doing those jobs for so long, some of it must have been memorized. You oh, would I think. think so. mm. Yes. 
And he continued to insist on doing as many of those tasks as possible himself. He also continued the renovations. So like the stained glass at Lady's Chapel. How do you do mm. that when you're blind? You can't see it. So he's but trying to describe it. it. They're describing it back to you. Yeah. But you know what you want, I suppose. Yes. Mm. I don't know. He remodeled most of the eastern end of the cathedral while he was blind, including that lady chapel and the window. Eerily, he chose for his tomb a cadaver sculpted from the for the top of his tomb. Oh, uh, right. So if you go, be prepared. You're sure it is a cadaver? It's, it's not just him because he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a cadaver that lives around. Yeah, a little worms. Okay. It was. Popular in the late medieval times and was called a transi, but it had already fallen out of favor by the time he had done it. Sometimes you get the the whole body on top, don't you? And, the, and underneath you get the, uh, you know, like bunk beds. The corpse. The, the corpse bit underneath, yeah. 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 He mm, was so. very old, so maybe that's what he could remember people <laughs> doing. <laughs> in 1522, when Wolsey declared that he wanted to reform monasteries and nuns throughout... England, Fox was thrilled and immediately dove back into ordering investigations for those in his own see and again issued more injunctions to reform. This meant revisiting the monasteries and convents he had already attempted to reform over and over and over again. You can see his frustration with the nuns. <laughs> he ordered that you do not consecrate a nun without a formal service. It has to be in Latin. Of course, you can write the instructions in English in the yes. margins, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he called the publication an order of consecration of the nuns. So he wrote them a step-by-step, -step, basically consecration for dummies. Hmm. <laughs> he specifically, specifically gave it to the Sisters of St. Mary's Winchester in 1524 to, quote-unquote, improve their sanctity. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are not doing good. He's been at this for... Years and years, and the, the nuns don't yes. appear to want to be very sanct, sanct, sanctificus. <laughs> well, I looked into that because I started to wonder, because it wasn't just St. Mary's Winchester, the Abbey of the Holy Cross was also high on his hit list at this point. The earlier inv investigations or visitations did improve the situation. It did fix the issue. A new abbess was appointed by him. It worked beautifully for a while. And then when the nun or the abbess passed away, it would revert because he didn't pick the next one. He allowed them to elect their next abbess. That's where they're going wrong, isn't it? Because they're picking yes. the one that's going to make things a lot easier for them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You see a problem there. Mm. And people didn't live that long. Abbesses were usually older when they were elected. So just like the Pope, they'd last maybe 10 years. Mm. And then you start all over again with somebody new. Oddly, and this is something I'm going to put to you, I had thought that if you failed your vow of chastity as a nun, you were automatically thrown out because you had committed adultery against God. Oh, because you're married to Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was just so prolific that <laughs> you can't chuck everybody out. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. So we have a record of two particularly bad nuns. <laughs> naughty nuns. <laughs> Very naughty nuns. <laughs> Instead of being thrown out, though, they were put on a bread and water diet. 
And the worst one, the worst offender, which makes you wonder how bad you had to be to be a worst offender since this seemed to be common amongst all of the convents, Hmm. was flogged on a regular basis for a year to ensure she remembered that she was not to be bad. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's a reminder flogging. Don't touch men. (laughs) It just... it just goes to show that how many nuns entered a nunnery unwillingly with the idea that they wanted to to serve God. Yes. It doesn't seem to be very many. No. No. <laughs> hmm. It's beginning to sound like St. Trinian's. What's St. No. Oh, films from the 60s where there's a, a boarding school and... All the young girls, young girls, are sort of have their socks around their ankles and things. But then they hit a certain age, and suddenly they're all in miniskirts. Oh dear! It's, <laughs> it's a very, very sixties type film. Oh jeez! <laughs> These last visits—that's what the tutors called the investigations. Remember, and orders were actually successful again. For how long I don't know. This time, <laughs> this time around, but Fox. You can only think he was satisfied that something so important to him was considered achieved. It mm. His see became almost the guiding light for the rest of the monasteries and convents. I can't imagine it went that well, considering that the Reformation was coming and the dissolution yes. of the monasteries and convents was coming. And one of the things they looked at was the behavior of the inmates. Yes. And- yeah, and lots of people are saying, you know, they're behaving so appallingly, fine, shut it down. Yes, this is one of the reasons why he took the indenture away from the monastery's monks. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I would give you... He wrote out this list of the types of heresy that you can see in secular clergy and in the priesthood, but I'm not going to enforce that on your ears. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. It's these particular writings that made him famous across Europe for being such a great reformer of the church. So if you are out there and you see Bishop Fox reformer, this is where it comes from. Right. Especially the heresy trials. There were so many. They just kept on going. So many heresy Mm -hmm. trials. What I do want to point out is that he did all of this gently. Again, only one person for his entire life doing all of these visitations was burned and very, very few of them flogged. Instead, they were to do pilgrimages and penances publicly, usually walking Mm -hmm. barefoot to church from their home so that everybody could see that they were in penitence. Yeah, it's just... So nice. <laughs> he could have been so much worse. Yes, yes, he could have been. I mean, you hear about one person burnt and you think, well, I mean, that's one person too many. But but if you look at the records in other yeah. seas, yeah. Mm. And then later compare it to yeah. Henry and then Mary. Jeez. Fox and Wolsey finally started coming to loggerheads in 1523. And it would be a rather protracted disagreement. It began when Fox protested against the church subsidy that I brought up, that he went to Parliament to say he doesn't Mm. want to pay, and continued as Wolsey started greedily snatching as many wealthy church appointments as he could. I suppose if he's come up from, his dad was a butcher, wasn't he? And if he's come up from nothing, he's probably thinking, I need to get everything I can because how long is this going to last? Very true. Mm. 
Wolsey, unfortunately, though, wasn't confining himself to taking livings that were vacant. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, he was actively bullying and harassing members of the clergy that were in positions or livings that he wanted for himself, and in some case, excommunicating them so he could take their place. What? Yeah. This included shipping them off to tasks in other seas and across the channel to complete extremely unpleasant commissions. Whatever he could find to make their life as miserable as possible, he did not pay them in any way for their travel. It had to come out of their own expenses. Unfortunately for Wolsey, he decided to choose some of Fox's own members of his sea. Mm-hmm. And Fox wasn't going to take it. Yeah, good. <laughs> Absolutely not. He was extremely old. Not now. <laughs> not, <laughs> not considering now. But for Tudor times, he was extremely old. And he was a very gentle man. His letters to Wolsey started out as gentle pleas and requests over and over and over again. Wolsey didn't even reply to these, which is mm. incredibly rude by Tudor <laughs> yes. politeness. Mm. Like, that is a huge, huge snub. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing Wolsey. It's going to be an interesting one. I already want to smack him just for this. (laughs) Wolsey only finally relented when Fox offered to complete the commissions himself to save his underlings from the trips. Do you really want to send a 78-year-old man? Yes, you're effectively killing killing me. me. Yes. Unfortunately for Fox, (laughs) 1579... Dragged to court again. 1579? 1579. No, 1529. <laughs> yes, I wrote that wrong. Say. He is 79. <laughs> he is 79. It is 1529. Yeah, I was gonna say, that was quite a, quite a leap. We, he... we jumped over a couple of, <laughs> couple of reigns there. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to start that again. Unfortunately for Fox, he was once more dragged into court in 1529. He is blind. He is now fully out of secular courts. Mm. This time, he was required to speak on the validity of the marriage of Henry to Catherine. Yes. And we weren't quite sure if he was remembering it right, because he remembered it being read out in front of Catherine, the, the renunciation by Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. And we wondered if, she, if it could have been, because she would have just told Ferdinand, and the idea was that they kept it secret from Ferdinand until they needed it. So was his memory yeah. quite right? Don't know. Mm. You're right. Henry was hoping the 79, possibly 80-year-old would remember two things, that Arthur and Catherine's marriage had been consummated and that she was there during the uh, renunciation of the marriage. Unfortunately for Henry, Fox would only testify that Arthur and Catherine had lived together and were of sufficient age to consummate the marriage. Hmm. There's only two people who know this. Yes. <laughs> one of he... them is dead, and the other one has a vested interest. <laughs> yes. He also testified that the dispensation for Henry's marriage to Catherine was valid. Ooh, he won't he want that. And he went a bit further to say that Henry wanted the marriage at the time. He certainly did. Yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, he was straight in there f- after, you know, once, once his dad was dead. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, bye-bye, Dad. Hello, Catherine. And then when mm-hmm. Henry 
had the deposition put in front of him to sign, he wouldn't sign it because he couldn't read it to ensure its validity. Well, that makes sense. You could be signing anything. Yeah, but he just, just said no just, to the king. Just because somebody reads it to you, do you know that's what it really says? No. <laughs> and he's 80 years old. I mean, how much? What, what could you do to me by now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, poor Margaret Pole. Mm. Yeah. Next season. Next season. Yes. We left that with a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yes. February 1528, so we're going back one year, he made the final amendments to the statutes of Corpus Christi College, and he was done. He continued visitations in his diocese, though the judgments he's left to others now. So he's doing the investigation, but once he's investigated, he's then saying, you can make the judgment on what's going to happen. He made the final arrangements and signed the deed for his free school in Grantham on October 2nd, 1529. He was most likely 82. It's hard to say. Could be 80. Could be 82. Most likely 82 is the consensus. He had worked up to three days before his death. When Fox died, he was laid to rest under the floor of the small vestry he had constructed in Winchester Cathedral. He had spent so many hours there after its construction that it had become known as Fox's study. It was his favorite place to worship in private and became his resting place. And that is Bishop Fox. Goodness me, he went on, didn't he? Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. And that was me really abridging everything. Mm. <laughs> but I couldn't leave out anything that was sort of battling with the king or with Wolsey. Well, we're so used to doing, say, 50 years at best. Yes. So to do 82... Yeah, it takes a while. Yes, it does. <laughs> and 82 of somebody was so involved in everything. Mm, whether yeah. they wanted to be or not, yeah. Yeah. And there's quite a bibliography for him, too. But now we rate him. Mm -hmm. Rate him, rate him, rate him. Amphiboly. Amphiboly. This is our entry ground. How devious were they? Ugh. <sighs> Hmm. Nothing. That's really. what I was thinking. He seems a very straight... Yeah, said what he thought. Yeah. He was honest all the way up until the very end when he wouldn't even sign a deposition because he wasn't sure what it said. Yeah. So, I'm... You're going with yep. the zero? I'm going with the zero. I As am I. What else you can go? Antiperistasis. Antiperistasis. This is Rise and Fall. Did they climb or plummet? This is big. Yeah. He started out as the second son, so not entitled to any allowance or anything from his family, mm -hmm. of a minor landholder, no title, no money. We don't even know his parents because they were so... I was going to say lackluster. <laughs> <laughs> They were too poor to have proper names. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know more about his nephew's names because he then was nepotism, which that's something else we could look at for antiperistasis for when he ended up Bishop of Winchester, which is massive. Mm. 
But he also raised up the rest of his family by making them deacons, priests, and presidents of his colleges. He brought up his entire family, not just himself, which I think should be counted here. Yes, mind you, by setting them up as priests and things, he's drawing a line under his legacy, isn't he? Because they're all, they're all going to have to be celibate. <laughs> yes, and I should also mention that he outlived all of his nieces and nephews. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the sort of thing we've been after, isn't it? Yes. Well, not exactly rags to riches, but not far off. No. Yeah, I'll go with an eight. An eight? I'm going to give him a nine. Ah. I want to give him a nine because there are so few positions higher that he attained. Hmm. He couldn't have become cardinal because the cardinal was still alive. So I'm thinking of people like Wolsey and Cromwell, who really were. But Cromwell did not make it as high in the estimation of the king as Fox was for two kings. Mm -hmm. That's true. Wolsey's the only one that really bested him because he became cardinal as well as the lead counselor for court. But do we have any idea that Fox ever wanted to be a cardinal? No. We Mm -hmm. um. We only have that he was happy with Winchester because it was more succulent than the archbishopric. And the cardinal wasn't possible. There was a cardinal. He could not take a position that was already filled. The cardinal Mm. had to pass away for Wolsey to get the cardinalship. With a little help from Polydor Virgil. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go with a nine. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, he did. The boy done good. Boy done good. (laughs) Martyrdom. Martyrdom. How far were they willing to go? Well, he didn't die for anything, but he nope. certainly worked himself... To the bone. <laughs> to the, yes. <laughs> Look at his picture. <laughs> so... And he was willing to stand up against the king, who was already well known for starting to kill people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the fact he wasn't executed is perhaps a bit lucky, but... Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's... It's not top. top it can't level be top because. Um, yeah, I think seven. Seven. I seven. I'm actually going to give him an eight because I have a feeling if Henry, like Wolsey, had kept pushing, he still would have said no, regardless mm. of the consequences. So I'm going to give yeah. him an eight based on what I think would have happened. Yes. Okay. B team. B team. This is our posterity round. What did they leave behind that still resonates today? Well, there's Bishop Fox's school in Taunton. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it really is huge because mm. we gave all those colleges, all the colleges, the fact <laughs> that he put aside so much of his own land to the colleges and the schools so that people could be educated for free as children was huge. Mm-hmm. He set up the hospital to make sure people were actually being cared for. The hospital had ended up with a different purpose. It was basically a boarding house. It wasn't actually being used as a hospital. He recreated it as a hospital and it remained that way for several centuries. So that's huge. And a lot of his work is still available. Hmm. Famous? Not so sure. Uh, Probably not. No, I mean, around here... We've got Bishop Fox's school, so I mean, the, the name is out there, but I would say not, no. No. Even I didn't 
honestly expect to get much from or for him mm. in documents. I was very pleasantly surprised with how much mm. is available. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a six because he's he's handed down so much, but he isn't famous. Okay, I was actually only going to go for a four because while he did right. the schools and mm. he affected the university for 400 years... Yeah, I'll, I'll go with a six. I agree. Okay. <laughs> oh, we should probably say, so that's a total of zero for Amphiboly, 18 for Antiperistasis, 15 for Martyrdom, and 12 for Batim. Mm, pretty good. Flaunt a bleeding flaunt. Flaunt a flaunt. This is our portraiture round. Right, I do. I have seen him. Yes. <laughs> There's a picture in um painting of him in Somerset Museum. Yes, in there Taunton. are quite a few. There's black and white, and then, and then there's color. And the, the one that I thought was the most terrific, that I thought was most representative here. I'm gonna show you open. So this is the one that we know was one he saw and thought it was a good likeness. <laughs> really? He looks yeah. like a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's made of wood. Slender, skinny, and then I love this one just because... Yeah, that's the one. That's the one they've got up in the, yeah. the, the museum. It's black and white. It's very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. It also shows how gaunt he is. It shows mm. the hollow cheeks. Really? Um, on the far side, the left side, you can see it. it's cheek jutting out, can't you? Yes. Mm. This was one that was done when he was younger. This was at his first bishopric, so he has a yeah, bit more looks... flesh, but at the same time... Yeah, that looks a less less painfully thin. Yes. And if you go to his tomb... That is very thin, yes. I mean, he's, yeah. well, he's in agony as well by the look on his face. Yeah, that well, is quite his lips are supposed disturbing. to be peeled back because you're, they're drying out. Yeah. It's definitely a corpse. <laughs> definitely. definitely a corpse. Yeah, there's yeah. there's quite a bit with him in there. It's really cool. Mm, I think those pictures. Are... That's the one for Ox. That's at Oxford. Has he got incredibly bug eyes? Yeah. Can I make this bigger? He looks like oh, who was he? Yeah, comedian from the sixties, um, Marty Feldman. I don't know who that is. Uh, quite the nose in this one. Quite the nose. Looks like a proboscis monkey. But we're back to symbology or symbolism. Hmm. You can see the college's coat of arms in the background and the founders. And then he's got his bishop's staff and the hat, even though he never wears it. Uh-huh, yeah. His crook. And then his walking cane. But it's of gold. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, coated in gold leaf. Gold leaf. Hmm. That didn't, didn't really think that of him. No, especially considering he never seems to wear the fancy bishop clothes. He was very, mm. very plain. Yeah, well, I suppose everyone's got their, their thing, and his, his is a cold stick. <laughs> and all the books. No, I love I love the picture of um, the, the very gaunt... Uh, the very first one? Bish fox. Yeah, the one... The, from... the black and white one. Well, that one, yeah. Oh, the... I like them all. I think they're great. <laughs> I love seeing them. Mm. Especially this. I'm going to go really high because I just think, yeah, there's not, 
the huge symbolism that we no, will get later. But you see his gold sticks in this one too. Yeah. Very fond of that. I'm going to give him an eight because I just love the faces, even though, you know, for later on in Elizabeth's time, we'll get some wonderful symbolism, but we're lacking. Yes, we're not the quite there coded yet. coded symbol, yeah. Yeah. But I do love his face, so I'm going to go with an eight. I'm going to go for a nine. And the reason ah. I'm going for a nine is because there's so many of them. And so mm. we get to see him through time getting skinnier yeah. and older, which we won't <laughs> get very many people. I put a picture up on Facebook of um, another picture of Henry the Seventh, And I wondered whether that was more uh, realistic than the little finger picture because he looks quite healthy and in this other picture. Oh. He looks very ill and very gaunt. Oh. Mm. And you can imagine that Margaret of Savoy, Margaret of Austria, would have looked, would have said, no, I know what he looks like. (laughs) (laughs) He's nothing like that picture. (laughs) Oh, geez. Mm. Oh, geez. It's quite disturbing, actually. Okay. That is 8.5 for Flauntaflaunt with a total of 53.5. So he's quite up there. He really is, yeah. He is on par exactly with John de Vere, the 13th Earl of Oxford, who was another heavy hitter in Henry's court. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. They've known each other, definitely. So, the big question? Are they too delicious or what? I think it's a definite. Yeah, me too. Yay! (laughs) I just, he was so nice. (laughs) Yeah, I can't see any reason not to give it to him because he's, how how could this place have run without him? Well, I don't think it could have. Him. They had to drag him back. <laughs> over and over and over again. He's blind. He's almost deaf. He can barely move. And you're still calling him back to court to fix things. Mm. Well, that's yes. Henry, isn't Yay! it? Just not, no thought. No thought no. about the poor man. <laughs> but you think the other people would have. Yeah, <laughs> what can you, you say? You're looking after my grandfather. I need you mm-hmm. to help me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm so pleased. He was so, even in his writing, when he's correcting the abuses, it comes across as this gentle old man telling you, you couldn't be doing better. Mm. Rather than, I'm going to thrash you. Yes. <laughs> well, that makes a nice change. Yes, it not really a, he does. He wasn't a pirate. He wasn't. Nope. Yeah. Nice. Didn't beat anybody. Didn't use torture. Nope. Nope. Didn't kick anybody out of their livings? No. 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 In fact, Ooh. defending people in their livings to make sure that they got to keep doing their own thing. Hmm? Yeah, really good guy. I was yeah. I was so pleased. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you want to know your next one, man? I want to know my next one. Who's my next one? Turkey. Our next one is... Oh, shut your door at dinner time. It's Uh-oh. Rodrigo de Puebla. Ah! <laughs> he only arrives Spanish when ambassador. it's dinner time. Because he has no money. Mm. But he does have gout. Yes, he does. 
Oh, yeah. great. I get to go back to the state calendars of Spain for that. Mm. At least they're Excellent. translated, which is nice. <laughs> I've been looking forward to him. I think he's one of these people who's going to, they're sort of drawstring characters, aren't they? That once you get them, they they sort of pull everything else together. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Oh, his side of the story for Pedro de Ayala. Mm. I hope there's more on him than there was on de Ayala. I think, I think they've got to be. I mean, he, he's, his name comes up so often, much yes. more than de, de Ayala does. Yes, it does. No, I look forward Ooh, to that. Okay, me too. <laughs> That's the end of our episode on Bishop Fox. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us for the next episode on Reginald Bray. Yes. Thank you for listening. You can find details of the podcast and contact us on... In the meantime, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. If thou wert the lion, the fox would beguile thee. If thou wert the lamb, the fox would eat thee. If thou wert the fox, the lion would suspect thee. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Dish Shakespeare. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.
time. 62? Oh, there is no 62. Two? (laughs) 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 I can tell time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to do a different one? (laughs) No, that's good. (laughs) 19. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That that number exists. (laughs) 